MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Chicago City Cast with Danny Burke, presented by Bet Rivers. It is time for another edition of the Chicago City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. Welcome into it, folks. Danny Burke, your host at Danny Burke Five, or you can get in touch with me on Twitter. Welcome in again to the program on this fine Wednesday afternoon when I'm recording it. Yes, I will try to refresh Twitter in case the Bulls make any blockbuster trades or just any trades in general. I mean, we're kind of waiting. Uh, to see what the Bulls are doing. We're seeing all these other crazy transactions happening, and we're just going like, hey, uh, AK, poking him a little bit. Hey, you going to do anything soon? We need to. This Bulls team is depleted. Even when they're healthy, they still need another big guy. I don't know. We're waiting. So we'll see. But we'll talk about the Bulls in their game tonight on the road against the Hornets. I don't want to say must win, but we've been saying it for the past couple of weeks because every game feels like a must win with the roster at hand. You're understanding that they're losing some of these games. It's just infuriating to know how much better they would be doing with a healthy team and losing them closely. So we'll discuss that. I got plenty of props for that game. We'll really touch it all. And I got a couple of plays as well. Blackhawks play tonight. Yeah, that's about it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the Blackhawks against the Oilers. Look, Edmonton is probably going to beat them as reflected by the odds and as reflected by the fact that the Bulls are the Bulls. The Blackhawks are a very incompetent organization from the top down, it seems, at this point. And I don't want to have to diss on the Blackhawks consistently, but everybody's pretty ticked off at this team right now from the top down. We ranted about it, or I ranted about it last week, and you know why, and not only that, but the performance stinks night in and night out. Maybe this will be a reset form post-All-Star break, but, you know, I'm not getting my hopes up. We will discuss that game, though, at the end of this first segment. Second segment, we will update the Super Bowl. 56, baby. We got the Bengals and the Rams. I know I haven't talked about it too much on this show, only a little bit, but really that's because I feel like everybody's been talking about it ad nauseum, especially on Vs and the Sports Betting Network, which is great. I mean, there's so much to unpack with the Super Bowl. That's the beauty of it. I love doing it. But if you want more of that, of course, you could check out my show Rush Hour on VEASAN Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time. And also I'm doing a Super Bowl preview show on Sunday, 7 to 9 a.m. Central time on VEASAN, so be sure to check that out. We'll be a jam-packed show, all of our best bets, different areas you can wager on, and a plethora of guests joining the show. But we'll still have plenty of Super Bowl stuff, not only on Rush Hour throughout the week, but I'll add some as we go on throughout this show on this week or during this week, because I still want to update and give out some of my plays. But like I said, we will talk about that a little bit in the second part here. 
But let's go ahead and begin with this Bulls team. So I don't want to say it's a must win, but we've been saying it, I don't know, for the past two weeks that every game feels like a must win. And it just, it's more so a must win against teams that you know the matchup is winnable or that you would be with a healthy roster. So, you know, with the Sixers, for example, that's not a must win. You expect them to lose, so be it. Suns, same case scenario. And with the Bucks, pretty much relatively the same thing. We'll see what happens in the next matchup, though. With the Hornets, this is a team the Bulls have already dismantled, has a bad defense, and just because your defense stinks doesn't mean you can't outscore their team and get the job done. So coming into this game, the Bulls have lost their last three out of five games. The Hornets have lost five in a row, so they are on a terrible stretch. Are they due? I don't know. I hope not. But uh, the Bulls are just two and seven in their last nine road games and across the past month, really. And the Bulls defeated the Hornets earlier this season, 133 to 119. That was with a healthier Bulls team. You had Caruso. You had Lonzo Ball. It was the Ball Brothers matchup, which was awesome. And now you're getting a little bit different roster from both sides because the Hornets are also dealing with some injuries. So this is why not maybe... A must-win game for Chicago, per se, but a game that is inexcusable to lose. I really think it is. This is a game that you can win. They're missing Gordon Hayward, top scorer for the Hornets, one of the top scores. Jalen McDaniels, a big body who could play solid defense, he will be out. Cody Martin, similar, will be out. James Bonite, that's how you pronounce his last name, he's doubtful. For this game. Now for the Bulls, aside from the regular crew that's out, Derek Jones Jr., Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, Pat Williams, you are also missing Io DeSumo, which will actually be somewhat significant considering the production he has offered off the bench and as a starter, defensively and just from a facilitating perspective. He's been a great passer, racking up those dimes, baby, but really what he can bring on the defensive side of the ball against a Hornets team that can really shoot lights out from beyond the arc Against the Bulls team that is 30th and defending the three, he will definitely be missed. But I still believe the Bulls can overcome it. And I'll tell you why. Looking at the stats, we'll start with Chicago in their offense. Chicago offensively, still at the top of the charts, folks, are fifth in points per possession. 114 points per 100 possessions is what they're scoring. Fifth in offensive effective field goal percentage, 54.5%. Not too shabby at all. Defensively, Charlotte, 22nd in points per 100 possessions, allowing opponents 113. Remember, the Bulls offensively averaging 114. They are 26, Charlotte is, in defensive effective field goal percentage at 54.4%. So again, if there's a team the Bulls can beat because you have Levine, because you have DeRozan and Booch and Kobe White, against a defense that is really bad and a team that overall is banged up, this would be the time to do so. Shot selection. Chicago's taken 37% of their shots from mid-range. That's second in the NBA. High frequency. They are making 45% from mid-range, which puts them third best. We know DeRozan plays a large part of that, that's for sure. Charlotte's defense is allowing opponents to make 42% of their shots from mid-range, which is 18th in the association, and more so, 36.4% from three. 23rd. Uh, the Bulls aren't necessarily going lights out from beyond the arc, but when they have the opportunities, it's kind of been tough. Like against the Sixers, when I was at that game, man, they couldn't make a three to save their life. They don't even get me started on Matt Thomas. 
But if there's a time to actually look like you could shoot the damn ball, it's against a Charlotte team that, again, is allowing opponents to make 42% of their shots from mid-range and 36.4% from three, both bottom tier in the NBA. Half-court offense, Bulls rank fourth in points per play, 98.6. Charlotte defensively ranks 18th in half-court defense, allowing 95.5 points per play. Let's go to the transition offense. Chicago ranks third in transition offense points per 100 possessions at four and second in points per play at 133. Charlotte's transition defense, 21st in points per possession, 2.8, 21st in points per play, 126.4. So Chicago, you would look at that and go, oh my goodness, they have the advantage in everything. And yeah, offensively, they should thrive. But we're also not considering then, well, what could Charlotte do against a defense in Chicago that is arguably just as bad as at this point? Charlotte's consistently been bad defensively all year. Chicago hasn't. It's because they're missing their top defensive guys. But it's obviously a problem still. So defensively for the Bulls, um, in terms of transition offense, Charlotte ranks first in all transition offense, 4.3 points per possession. And then you look at the Bulls' defense, 22nd at 2.8 points per possession. So Charlotte may put a dent in that arena. Charlotte also third in transition points per play at 132. And the Bulls' defense is 26 in defensive points per play, 127.5 for transition defense. Nothing really too crazy with discrepancies from the Bulls' defense versus Charlotte's offense. For the half-court offense versus defense, so that's pretty neck and neck. But if you want to look at the shot selection for the Hornets and why this could be a tough night for Chicago, it's because Charlotte is having over 36% of their shots at the rim, that's third, and 39% from three, that's 11th. The Hornets are making 64% of those shot attempts at the rim, which is 18th in the league, and 36.4% from three, which is 10th best. So at the rim, the Bulls are allowing a lot of shots going from there, but they're not terrible per se. I know I give Vooch a lot of crap, and that's more so when we look at the one-on-one -on -one matchups. But collectively, opponents aren't necessarily dominating the Bulls at the rim, but we know they're dominating from beyond the arc because the Bulls are allowing opponents to shoot over 37% from three, which is still dead last in the association. Nothing has changed. Nothing at all. At the rim, opponents are connecting on 64% of their shots against the Bulls. That is 7th best in the NBA. So again, not terrible at the rim. But beyond the arc is where the issues lie for Chicago. So I'm looking at the overall scope of this game, guys. And this line opened 3 in favor of Chicago. Total opened 231.5. And, and I don't disagree with the Bulls opening as a favorite. I don't know if I would have made them 3. I probably would have made them like, I don't know, 1.5 or so. So right now, the Bulls are laying two at Bet Rivers. Money line is minus 129. Charlotte's about plus 107. Total has jumped up naturally, because why wouldn't it, especially with these two teams? 231.5, now up to 236.5. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to bet the under for this game. Not going to bet the over, because you've missed the ship by five points and up into the mid-230s. Doesn't mean it can't go over. Probably will, but hey, maybe consider the individual team totals instead. But that's not where I'm interested in uh, betting this. I would probably, if I was going to bet this straight up, and again, like, I'm trying to be as objective as possible. I just think because you still have Vooch, you still have DeRozan, you still have Levine, you have Kobe White, that's actually the big piece in the sense of having someone scoring with the bench. 
That is what has killed the Bulls. Going back to that Sixers game, and I remember it said a lot because I was at the game, so you know I was paying attention a little bit more than usual. The Bulls, and Levine wasn't playing in that game, granted, but the Bulls had literally nobody to help off the bench. Like, even Io, I needed and wanted him to shoot more buckets. Like, he was doing fine. If he's aggressive, he can be solid. He's going to be out in this game, and yes, again, that is going to be somewhat significant for this Bulls team, but I think you can get by in this game knowing that Charlotte is still going to get their shots regardless. You just need to outscore them in this game, and Io isn't necessarily the piece that helps you do that. Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, Kobe White are the pieces that can help you do that, and hopefully Javante Green can bring some valuable minutes in this game, but so... You know, with this thing opening at three, again, I understand why it moved down to Charlotte. You can't trust the Bulls right now. You can't. And they've gone through a tough stretch the last couple of games. But I think I would wait if you want to bet the Bulls. Unless there's going to be some late buyback toward the Bulls, I think this thing is going to get down to almost a pick em, maybe one and a half or one. You could get a better number on the Bulls. I think the Sharps are going to look to continue to bet the Hornets or it's going to be steady after this initial movement. But I could really see either side in this game. I just think at the end of it, you trust the Bulls pieces that are remaining a little bit more than the Hornets. You still got some solid guys there. There's no denying that. You got what, Bridges? You got Lamella Ball. You got Rozier. You got P.J. Washington doing what he can do. So look, it's not a bad roster, but they've just been atrocious these past five games, and they've really been a volatile team. And I'm not saying the Bulls have not, but I trust them a little bit more so in this game. So I would lean Bulls on the money line. Haven't played it yet. We'll see. Okay, let's get into these props. This is where I'm very interested in the market-wise for betting for this game. So some notable stats from the last time they played, just for a frame of reference when you're looking to bet these. Uh, DeRozan dropped 28 against Charlotte. Levine dropped 25. Booch dropped 30, and he hit. He was 6-6 six six from beyond the arc. My God. Uh, Hayward, who is not playing, dropped 22 points for the Hornets, so that's a big piece missing for Charlotte. Let's start... Since Vooch had such a great game, let's start with his points prop. 20 and a half. Over minus 127, under is even money. So Vooch is averaging about 17 and a half points per game this season. He's only gone over 20 and a half points in 13 out of 47 games. No bueno, really. But we know he's been a lot better as of late. He's gone over this mark the last four out of six games. The thing that concerns me about Vooch is for the fact that Zach Levine is back in the lineup, you don't need to be as reliant upon Vooch as you normally would in the games where Levine was absent. That doesn't mean Vooch can't put 20-plus up with Levine in the mix. I mean, he certainly needs to do so still because of the depleted roster, but I just don't think he's as, I don't know, he's not lined up as accordingly to do so or as beneficially whatever you want to call it like he's not going to need to have as many opportunities but I do think it's a favorable matchup you don't have a dominating big against him or a dominating big that he has to focus his attention on and versus Charlotte the first go around dropped 30 points like we said got a lot of good looks from beyond the arc and tagged along 14 rebounds and five assists so looking at his shot selection 44 percent of Butch's shots come from mid-range more so, 33% come from three-point range. He's connecting on 44% from mid, which puts him in the 69th percentile for his position group, and 33% from beyond the arc, which puts him in the 55th percentile. 
Hornets are allowing opponents, as we know, to shoot 42% from mid-range, which ranks 18th in the NBA, and then 36.4% from three, which ranks 23rd. I would lean over on this mark for Vooch, but again, I want to see another sample size with him and Levine playing together. You could say, well, Danny, you had this whole sample size from the beginning of this season and obviously didn't get over it consistently. You're correct, but also you still had Caruso, Lance Ball, Derek Jones Jr., etc. So it's a little bit different feel. So I'm not going to be surprised to see Vooch go over. I don't like uh, the idea of laying minus 127. In an ideal world, this number would be at 19 and a half and odds wouldn't be too crazy. And then I'd probably play it over. Ultimately, I'm going to stay away from it. But I would have the strong lean to Vooch over 20 and a half points. Zach Levine. Zach Levine's always an interesting prop market because he's not as high as DeRozan. And sometimes he can be picky and choosy when he goes off. Sometimes he doesn't need to. Sometimes he desperately needs to. But what we know is he does go full attack mode against these weaker defenses, Charlotte being one of them. So again, I would lean over with Levine. His points prop is 24 in the hook. The red flag here for this is that the juice is on the over minus 134 at Bet Rivers. A little bit too high for my liking, folks. Unders plus 105. Look, 24 and a half, I think, is the appropriate amount. I think that's the right number set at. So with that being said, I would price it, you know, minus 110. They put up a little bit more, minus 113 each way. So there's no chance I would want to lay over 20 cents more to that at minus 134, even if I had a lot of conviction with it, because 24 and a half is the appropriate number to be set at with Zach Levine. Does he get over it? Realistically, probably, because 33% of his shot attempts come at the rim where the Hornets are allowing opponents to shoot 65%, and a majority of his shots are coming from beyond the arc. He's also representing the Bulls in the three-point contest once again, and we know the Hornets are terrible, 36.4% from defending the three. Not as bad as the Bulls, but they're pretty close. He dropped 25 points the first go-around against Charlotte, only hit two threes in that game, but also put on three from the charity stripe and 10 field goals overall. So I think Levine gets over it. He's coming off a nice 30-plus point effort against the Suns. I do think he gets over. Again, I don't, I, like, I want to stress this. I do think he gets over, but for the price of minus 134, I'm not willing to trust it and bank on it. If you had me at minus 115 even, I'd probably consider it. But I think the price is a little bit outrageous for Levine over 24 and a half points. Look, some of these books, Bet Rivers with the instant betting, lets you live bet these player props. So maybe even take a piece of that if he gets off to a slow start or you're thinking he's developing a rhythm, whatever it may be. Look to approach it that way, perhaps. I think that's a good alternative. You could make the argument that him over three and a half, three point field goals made could be the viable option because the over in this case is plus 130. He's gone over this mark in just 13 games this season. He did get four three-pointers the last go-around against Phoenix. But remember, a majority of his shots come from beyond the arc. And the weakest part of Charlotte's defense is defending shots from beyond the arc. I'm just saying, consider it Levine over three-point field goals made. DeMar DeRozan's next. And the crappy thing about DeRozan and his props they're, okay, there's a good and the bad. The bad is that they're so inflated now because he's so dominant. It's at 28 and a half, and it's still shaded to the over minus 127. That's the bad news. The good news is DeMar still finds a way to get over it pretty damn consistently. He's averaging 27 points per game this season. He's gone over 28 and a half points in 20 out of 50 games this year. The thing about that hook, 
Oh, so crucial hook. I mean, he's hit 28. He has landed on 28.6 times this season. So be leery of the Rosen and that 28 and a half with the hook. But we know he can thrive in this situation. We know he can thrive in any situation. 70% of DeRozan shots come from mid-range. That is his bread and freaking butter, and he's making half of them. 50% puts him in the 86th percentile. By the way, 70% of his shot attempts from mid-range puts him in the 100th percentile. It's all the way at the top for his position group. But we know the Suns, not the best defending mid-range either. I mean, overall, they're not great defensively. We know this. So Charlotte allowing opponents to make 42% of their shots from mid-range, which ranks 18th in the NBA out of 30 teams. This one, I, I don't want to say I would lean over but not betting it because it's inflated or because of the price. I just really don't have a clue in this game. What's going to be the defensive scheme, if at all, from Charlotte against a guy like DeRozan? Do you want to go that high with the number with DeRozan? Do you want to lay the juice in addition to that? The answer should be no. And I get that you want to bet DeRozan over because he's an absolute beast. He's a dog. He's going off on a constant basis. You are correct in all of that. But at some point, it's going to give. And at some point, he is going to stay under. Is that point tonight against a lackluster defense in Charlotte? You know what? Probably not. But the hook is... At the high number, 28.5 is not ideal, so I'm not even going to entertain DeMar DeRozan. I'm just going to root for him. I don't want to put any financial type of uh, uh, entity on it. I don't know whatever the hell you want to call it, but you know what I'm saying. I don't want to put any USD on DeRozan trying to get over the high number of 28.5, okay? I think this is one I am comfortable just not getting involved in. And, and I don't, I like, even if you told me your betting is over, I'd be like, eh, you know, be a little careful. It's inflated and you're still laying juice. And if you said under, I'd be like, you know what? For the price, that's probably the better move. But you also have to be careful because DeRozan's just an absolute animal. So just do nothing with it, with DeMar DeRozan. Uh, really quick, before we move on to my two bets that I did make for this game, I want to talk about Javante Green. I thought this was interesting. Points, rebounds, and assists for Javante Green. The number at 15 and the hook at Bet Rivers over minus 127. Under is even money. So Javante Green obviously isn't a guy who's padding the stats. He does a lot of the gritty work out there. He's a great energy source. He comes in and makes key plays when need be, whether it's defensively or getting a big rebound or throwing down a huge slam. But he is only averaging seven points per game. 4.3 rebounds per game and just one assist. He's gone over 15 and a half points, rebounds, and assists in just 11 out of 38 games. But he has gone over this mark. If we're looking at recent trends, folks, he's gone over this mark of 15 and a half points, rebounds, and assists in the last six out of eight games. With a depleted Bulls roster, with the help of Levine being out and Javante having to make a name for himself more so and be more actively involved offensively, he has been a bigger part of this team offensively. Now again, Levine is back in the mix. So how much are you going to get out of Javante Green? Well, if you think because of how bad this team is being Charlotte defensively and how high this total keeps rising, Javante Green can surely get involved at one point or another. I don't have any doubt in that. But something about wanting to bet an over in, in a prop with Javante Green, like rebounds, you could make that argument. Assists, no, not too much. Points, eh, it's tough. But all those combined, I think he absolutely could get over 
Or is it going to be a top-heavy game where it's Levine, where it's DeRozan, where it's Vooch, where it's Kobe White, and that's about it? But something to be aware of, I think. Keep an eye on Javante Green. Maybe get some value on that play because he has gone over it again the last six out of eight games for the Bulls. All right, let's look at the side of the Charlotte Hornets and, you know, hate me all you want, but I think these are a couple good angles to look at. And I already said I'd lean toward the Bulls for the full game, but that's not where I'm making my bets. I'm making it in the player prop selection for the home team, Charlotte. Let's talk Terry Rozier. Three-point field goals made for Terry. Three and a half is the number. The juice is big time on the under, minus 180. The over... Plus 140. Some good value, right? Well, it, I'm looking at this. I'm going, well, you know what? Three and a half is a lot. But Terry Rozier, I think, takes a lot of his shots from three. And let's remember, the Bulls are the worst in the NBA defending shots from beyond the arc. So, okay, doing some further investigating. Yeah, Terry Rozier, 50% of his shots come from three-point range. And he's making 37% of them. Okay, well, what is he averaging from beyond the arc exactly? Okay, well, he's making three three-point field goals per game on about eight three-point field goal attempts. All right, decent. How many times has he gone over this? Well, out of 46 games, he's gone over this in 20. From a prop that is such as this at a higher number, that's pretty impressive, even, even though it's less than 50%. But what did he do against the Bulls? We have a sample size to refer to. He dropped 31 points against the Bulls, folks. Now, you could look at his points prop at 21 and a half, but he's only gone over that 17 times compared to him over these threes 20 times. Well, how many threes did he make against the Bulls? He had six three-pointers made against Chicago on seven attempts, when six of seven from beyond the arc. Folks, they're giving you plus money here. It's a high number at three in the hook. It is the correct number, but I don't think this price should be or should have as much value as plus 140. This isn't one where I'm going, he is absolutely going to get four. It's more so like, I got to take advantage of this plus price, considering what he did the last time, considering his frequency of shots that come from this range, and this is a range where the Bulls are the worst in the league at defending. You got to take at least a little bit of piece of it on principle. So I'm playing Rozier over three and a half three-point field goals made at plus 140. This Bulls team cannot close out defensively from beyond the arc. The offense, the strategy is easy for opponents, right? You work something in the middle, then you dish it out beyond the arc because the Bulls have a tough time recovering since they're missing their top defensive guys in Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso and Derek Jones Jr. and Pat Williams. They cannot fill this void defensively and every opposing team keeps exploiting it and that's exactly what the Hornets will do considering their offense takes a majority of their shots beyond the arc yeah that's right charlotte's offense takes 39 percent of their shots collectively from beyond the arc more than any other range on the court and a guy like terry rogier who individually takes half of his shots from that area you're giving me plus money to his over i will gladly take that plus 140 rogier over three and a half three point field goals made and how about a similar bet Lamelo ball three point field goals made Two and a half, however, is the number. Same price over plus 140 under minus a buck 80. But LaMelo Ball's averaging two and a half, three point field goals made on seven attempted per contest. 
He's gone over this prop mark in 23 out of 48 games, even more so than Rozier has with his. Now, you could look at his points prop at 22.5, but he's only gone over that 16 times. And he didn't go over that against the Bulls. He only got 18 points, to say only relatively. But what did he do from three? Well, he knocked down three three-pointers on eight attempts. He got over this. Might not have been pretty, might not have been comfortable, but he still did. A winner is a winner, and money is money. 40% of LaMelo Ball shots come from beyond the arc. He's making 37% of them. Just to be beating the dead horse, again, the Bulls are 30th in defending the three. 37.4% is what opponents are shooting collectively from beyond the arc. And that's where LaMelo Ball can make his cake. He's taken plenty of shots. He will get plenty of looks, and he will probably hit plenty of threes along with Terry Rozier. So I am betting both LaMelo Ball over two and a half three-point field goals made at plus 140, and Terry Rozier over three and a half three-point field goals made at plus 140. Now, because of the plus price, even if one of them hits and you're betting your same standard unit on each selection, you're going to make a little bit of money. It's not going to be great, but I'm not doing it just to hope one makes it. I am doing it because I think it's a good spot for both of these guys to hit with such a great price at plus 140. I think the price is incorrect. I think the prop number at two and a half and three and a half respectively is accurate, but the reflection of the juice is not precise. It's not where it should be. At most, it should be like, plus 120 for each so i will take those extra 20 cents and where i would have it placed and i will trust rogier and lamello ball to get over this mark against a team that absolutely struggles from that exact area so that's what i'm rolling with for tonight's game thus far aside from those props small lean to the bulls winning it outright we'll see where this line progresses throughout the day um, before we move on to the Blackhawks really quick, I did want to talk about Zach Levine a little bit more. So Casey Johnson, if you don't know him, fantastic work as always covering the Bulls. And um, he talked about how Zach Levine could make history for the All-Star game because he could be the first player in history not only to win the dunk contest, but to win the three-point contest. So could Zach Levine, I mean, we're probably going to bet on him because we're homers anyways and you're kind of doing it for fun, but could he be worth a play for the three-point contest? Well, I know he's already changed his strategy with the money balls where you could put them all in, the, in one rack. I think they were saying he's going to put in the last one or do something like that or in the corner one, whatever it is. But look, I mean, with that much more incentive to win it, I don't know. We'll see what his price is going to be at. I'm pretty excited, but just wanted to throw that out there. All right. Um, final Chicago touch here, and then we'll go to the Super Bowl. But let's talk Blackhawks and Oilers. Oh, boy. Uh, All-Star break is over, which is fun because we can bet hockey again, but it's not fun because we have to suffer through this Blackhawks team again, and it ain't getting any easier going against the Edmonton Oilers. But the Oilers open minus a buck 70. Chicago open plus 155. And the total opened at six and a half. Total still at six in the hook. Juice is on the under, minus 118. Over is even money. If you think we see seven or more goals in this game, money line attention has gone toward Edmonton. Why the hell wouldn't it? Now they're up to minus a buck 90 at Bet Rivers. The Blackhawks plus 160. If you want to look at the puck line, if you want to take a puck and a half with Chicago, meaning if they lose by one or win the game outright, you would win your bet, but you're laying minus 150. Edmonton. Minus one and a half, meaning they have to win by two or more. If they do end up doing that, you're getting a price of plus 125, which at this point, now that the money line is at minus 190, may be a decent route to take. 
with the Oilers. Now, aside from that, of course, we could do the win in regulation, um, which is always a favorable bet. Not favorable and not always, but it's a bet that I always tend to favor, I guess is what I meant to say. Although this season, it's kind of been screwing me. I'm not going to lie. But that's always a decent outlook to take. And I, why is this always the hardest thing in the world for me to find on this website? I don't know why. Like, on the phone, it's so much easier. But for some reason, okay, there it is. You got to go under most popular at Bet Rivers. But the regular time three-way bet is the win in regulation. So you get a little bit better value on your respective team because this isn't counting for overtime, right? This is just regulation. And in that sense, the Blackhawks are plus 250. You could also bet the tie at plus 370, meaning it would go to overtime. But you don't push. If it does tie, you would lose because it ties a betting selection. Or you could bet the Oilers at minus 120. So to win the game, Edmonton is minus 190. To win by two or more goals, they're plus 125. But they could also win in regulation, but not win by two or more goals. And that would be the win in regulation or the regular timeline three-way bet at minus 120. So... You got to ask yourself, are you someone who just loves to seek out the value? Do you trust Edmonton enough? Do you have that much distrust in Chicago? And if your answer is yes, then you would look at the puck line for all of those reasons. All right. Well, if your answers are, yeah, I trust Edmonton. You know, they played last night, though. I think they did, or maybe Winnipeg didn't. I always get those two teams confused. Let me double check. But if you look at this Edmonton team and you go, yeah, you know what? They are the better team than Chicago. But Chicago, with a restart after the break, maybe they have a little bit of momentum, right? Maybe they have some juice. Yeah, so they beat or they played VGK last night. They got blanked for the first time for nothing. So maybe you don't want to trust the puck line as much, but you do think they're the better team than Chicago. You don't want to make, wait, uh, lay the minus 190. Then I would suggest you go the win in regulation, minus 120. Definitely feasible to me to think that they could win in three periods against the Chicago team that is still going to be missing Jonathan Taves. You're still going to be missing the two Johnsons, Reese and Tyler, and then uh, Kyra, the other guy playing there. And Lankinen's out, but it doesn't matter because Marc-Andre Fleury is tending the net regardless. But the Oilers are going to have the advantage against the Chicago team that has the third fewest points in the Western Conference at 39 and the third lowest points percentage, 424. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Stuart Skinner is going to be starting for Edmonton, which eh, makes me not want to trust him as much. I don't know too much about the guy. He's one of their backups, and he's 5-6-0 this season with a save percentage of 91% and a goals against average of 2.85. But at home, he is better, 3-2-0. 2.6 goals against average, 92.4% with his saves on home ice. And he has faced Chicago this season. One game, he allowed two goals on 31 shots, and they won 5-2 in that first effort. So they won a regulation. They covered the puck line. Can they do it again with Skinner between the nets? Probably. Uh, however, Marc-Andre Fleury was not tending the pipes for the Blackhawks in that game against the Oilers. So... I don't think it really matters. Edmonton should win this game. They probably will. They got embarrassed last night. Don't want to get embarrassed by a lowly team in Chicago. I would probably, if I was fine laying a high price, minus 190, like that would be okay with me just to get a little bit involved in this game. Not like an official play per se, but just to get a little juice on it. But if I was really looking to make this a legit play, trying to be conservative with how much I was laying and want still enough conviction and 
and just trust in this team and for the bet to hit, I think the win in regulation would have to be my top play minus a buck 20. But I wouldn't tell you not to do the puck line. I just find getting, you know, laying minus 120 for a little bit more security. But realistically, if they win in regulation, chances are they probably win by more than one. You would think so then maybe take the plus money. But again, myself, I would just do the win in regulation. Blackhawks should lose this game. That's the moral of the story. All right, so that's what we got for Chicago sports. Again, the two plays we are going with Terry Rozier over three and a half three point field goals made plus 140. And along with that, LaMelo Ball over two and a half three point field goals made also at the price of plus 140. Go Bulls. We want the Bulls to win. Maybe in a high scoring game where LaMelo and Terry can get their cake from beyond the arc. And then let's get Bulls the rest of the way. All right, coming up next here on the Chicago City Cats, let's talk SB56, an updated number and outlook for the Rams and the Bengals. And maybe I'll give you a prop or two that I have played, but if not today, uh, we'll go over them later in the week. Don't you worry. But that's coming up next. Danny Burke, your host. It is the Chicago City Cast. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Not valid for any participant of the Illinois Gaming Board statewide volunteer self-exclusion program. Must be 21 years of age or older. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 gambler one 800 Okay, let's talk some Super Bowl 56 as we round out another edition of the Chicago City Cast presented by Bet Rivers. Looking at these lines, courtesy of Bet Rivers, Rams back up to a four and a half point favorite. Now I say back up to there because look, they opened three and a half, went up to four, went up to four and a half for a majority of last week, and then it came down to four. And we saw it flirt with that for quite some time, but then now you have seen the action once again go toward the Rams. Money line minus 195, buyback on the money line for Cincinnati, plus 165. Total has not moved 48.5 from the initial movement down. It's been steady. My prediction, I think this line probably ends up at four. You're not going to see it hit three. You're not going to see it hit five. It's going to be four, four and a half consensus. I would guess by kickoff would be four. Total, I still think you'll Get probably like max 49 and a half, but realistically probably at like 49, but they don't want to fall on the push, even though seldom it could happen on that number. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe 49 and a half. It's going to move this weekend, though, folks. Starting Friday, everybody starts getting into these books. Everybody usually doesn't bet, wants to bet because it's the weekend. The big game's coming. Only game that gets affected by the public betting because of how high the volume is, is the Super Bowl. So it will get moved because of that. And... You got to ask yourself, I mean, the public play that everybody, I guess, if you want to look sharp and contrarian and all that, I, apparently it's on the Rams. I would think the sharper money would be on the Rams considering the initial movement went that way and it's not going to be the public money right away. And I would think that the Bengals are actually going to be a public dog because everyone that I've talked to who are kind of just more average Joe betters, like Joe Burrow, pun intended, average Joe, like stellar Joe I don't know but you know they see this Bengals team that is led by an exciting cocky cool confident just killer in Joe Burrow they saw them come back against the Chiefs they seen Jamar Chase they know all the studs they have and they saw what happened to the Rams during the season with Stafford not being the best them losing games they should have won 
and them almost blowing that lead against the Bucs and having to come back for the 49ers. I would think that the public would actually see the Bengals catching four and a half and be like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I want that. I want the plus money on the money line. That's what I would think. We'll see what the numbers end up saying, kind of. But I just really think that the Rams still are the right team. Now, if it ends up that four is the best number I'm going to get and it's not going to dip below like 185, If, if maybe the max I do money line is 180, but... I think I'll end up laying the four with Los Angeles. I, I was hoping I could get a better number like minus 175 and take a money line. I just don't foresee that happening at this point. But never say never. We'll see what this line does as we approach this weekend. But I probably will be laying the four with the Rams. Now, aside from that, in looking at where our speculation of the numbers are going to be, I did, I, I've done a decent amount of props if you've listened to Rush Hour. If not, again, I hope you check it out. Um... I suggest that you not only check out my show, but all of the content on VEASAN because there is plenty going around for all the different wagers you can make for the big game. But I will give you one here. And again, I'll probably go over most of them, if not some of them, on Friday. And I'll go over all of them on Rush Hour and then on our Super Bowl show, 7 and 9 a.m. Central Time Sunday. I know it's early, but, you know, lock in those bets early, baby. But here's a bet that I do like a lot. At Bet Rivers, you can bet the total first downs by each respective team, and the Rams number is at 20 in the hook, meaning if you want them to go over, they got to get 21 or more first downs. And I want them to do that, and I hope they do that, and I'm thinking that they do that. The over is minus one and a quarter, minus 125. So the Rams are averaging 21 first downs per game as of this point. And over the course of their last three games, meaning all three postseason games, they're getting 21.7 first downs per game now Cincinnati defensively they are allowing opponents 20 first downs per game with the whole season and the postseason combined but if we just narrow it down to the postseason the last three games their opponents are averaging 21 first downs against the Bengals per game let's look at the exact numbers this postseason uh, the Rams had 25 first downs against a great defense and a team that has always dominated them, the San Francisco 49ers. Before that, they had 24 at Tampa Bay. Prior to that, they only had 16 against Arizona, but take that into context. They didn't need to move the ball down consistently. When they were scoring, they had the benefits, or they were the beneficiary of great field position from the Cardinals' inept offense and turnovers and giving them great field position. And really, the Rams had big boom plays. They didn't methodically make their way down the field, so there weren't as much or weren't as many first downs. That's not going to be the case against the Bengals. Defensively, the Bengals, again, allowing 21 per game this postseason. They allowed 24 to Kansas City, 23 to Las Vegas, and 16 against Tennessee. But you know what? Tennessee stinks. I've always said they stink. They blow. They were the worst one seed of all time. They got no offense, so I'm not surprised they stayed under that mark. But it's going to be more like the Raiders in Kansas City where they easily got over 20 and a half. I think the Rams will do the same in this game. So I bet the Rams over 20 and a half first downs at minus 125 at bet rivers so like i said i got plenty more check out rush hour we'll talk about all of that and maybe we'll throw in a couple more at the end of the week here on the chicago city cast but that's going to about do it for another edition we'll be back tomorrow don't worry we'll see if any news with the bulls comes about i'm telling you i've been refreshing twitter and haven't seen anything so we're kind of like hey ak what are you doing my guy i do you think that they can do well enough with their healthy team 
they can do well enough to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. What they can't do is beat the Sixers, especially if they get hardened, even without him, with Joel Embiid, with Giannis in his big body. The Heat, they're deep. They got experience now. I, you need another guy. You do. Is that Schroeder? Maybe, but is he the guy that's going to push you over the top? I don't think so. He would be a good asset to help off the bench production-wise offensively, sure, but in terms of defense and limiting opposing big men and getting big men scoring that can take the weight off of the shoulders of one Nikola Vucevic, no, that's not going to help. If you got him and another big guy, fantastic. If you just got a big guy, not Schroeder, awesome if it's the right big guy. If you just got Schroeder, okay. That'll help you now. But is that going to be the missing piece you needed to help you to get to the NBA Finals? I don't think so. But you got to trust AK, and I do. And I think they're going to have a tough time parting with some of these guys, especially Pat Williams, their baby, their first draft pick, a guy that people compared to maybe being Kawhi Leonard. Kobe White can't provide very valuable minutes, but he's been the hot name around him getting traded. I think Kobe White is a guy you know what his ceiling is. I think Pat Williams, you don't know what his ceiling is. It could be to the moon. It could be below average. We just don't know. With Kobe White, he's the type of player you pretty much know what you're going to get. You can get him maybe averaging 15 per game for the rest of his career. Maybe not the rest of his career, but for a majority of his career. But what is his value actually going to be in terms of facilitating the ball, in terms of being a true point guard, in terms of on the defensive side of the floor? Because he really isn't a true point guard. I mean, he can be, but he's best suited as a shooting guard. Can he come off the bench for another team that's already pretty well built but could use an asset like him or could he remain that for the Bulls the answer is yes but you're gonna have to be willing to part with him to get that other piece to help make you that team so that's the thing it's so tough right now so if they don't end up doing anything I think I would understand why but you're just facing the fact that this probably isn't your year but you're like oh, we'll hope for the best when everyone's healthy Yes, it's okay to believe in your guys, and yes, you should. And yes, they could still reach the finals, but you know and I know when they go against tough teams like the Heat, who they have lost to, like the Nets, who they got embarrassed by, even though Brooklyn's in shambles, um, like the Sixers, who they cannot beat, this Bulls team has a tough go about. I think they need that other piece. And if they don't get it this year, something I'm sure will happen in the draft. I mean, not good enough to put you over the top. They don't have the first rounder, I think, right? They just have the second rounder. But maybe they can sign someone in free agency. Maybe. Maybe they could trade for someone then. I don't know. But it feels like you want to take advantage of the moment while you're there. You know, who knows if the Rosen's going to be playing at an MVP-like level next season? Who knows if... You're not going to be dealing with these same injuries next year. Who knows about a lot of things. So I think the fact that you're still flirting with that number one seed because of all the adversity you've dealt with and because Brooklyn's looking like they're in shambles, that could be the time to overcome them. Who knows what's going to happen with the COVID restrictions next year and Kyrie Irving's playing ability. Now's your time to do it. And I get it's going to sting if you got to get rid of a couple guys or some of your top guys, but look, you got to make sacrifices to get what you want. And what you want is the Larry O'Brien trophy and for the Bulls to be at the top of the association, rightfully so, the way it should be, baby, once again. So we'll see. Hopefully it happens soon and we can cover it here on the show.
But I do think something will happen. I don't know if it's going to be like monumental or something. We're all like, oh my gosh, that's off. You know, it could just be a couple of smaller pieces, not physically, but in terms of production or just name value. But if one of them's a big man, you don't need a flashy big man. You need someone who can bang down low, take those fouls, and relieve Nikola Vucevic a little bit so he can contribute more offensively. That would be a good assistance. And same with Schroeder with the guards, especially because they're banged up. Like Caruso's great off the bench, but again, he's not going to be as good of a scorer as Schroeder. Kobe White's kind of the Schroeder type of guy that you want, but Schroeder has more experience and probably more consistency. So uh, that could be the exchange with Boston. But again, you still need that big guy down low. So we got to trust the process and whether or not they do it. Doesn't mean it's always going to be right, but they're closer to it than we are. So we'll see. All right, folks, until next time. As always, appreciate it if you like, subscribe, leave a review, whatever it is, so you get notified when you get the show right away. If you subscribe, do it on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. And again, my show, Rush Hour, will be talking extensively about Super Bowl coverage. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we got it all over the place for myself and guests and different props and some other bets that I did not talk about on this show when it comes to just widespread national sports betting. So we've got you covered there, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Marquee Sports Network, Fubo TV, Sling TV, the Xfinity app, YouTube TV, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts, and of course, VSIN.com and the VSIN app. Take care, folks. Best of luck. We'll catch up again tomorrow. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.